All right, I think we're live. So uh, yeah, so John, uh, let's let's begin this. Welcome to the Church Podcast, talking all things ministry so you can do church better. I'm your co-host, Chris Wesley, joined live by John Ronaldo, although that's kind of funny because we're always live, right, John? Well, we're always live, but it is weird because I'm like trying, I'm watching us live and then I'm kind of watching us also on uh, Facebook and it's, I'm confused, but it's cool. So we're trying this experiment today. So Chris, tell us a little bit more about what, what we're trying to do here. I think I should tell you uh, <laughs> yeah, what we're I doing no here idea. because <laughs> you're going to be that guy that's looking at the screen the whole time being like, oh, <laughs> how am I doing this and everything like that. So it is episode 100. Oh, cool. Tony Vicinda is joining us. Tony, it's so glad, so glad to have you and everything like that. And uh, yeah, we're, we're trying uh, this little experiment for episode 100. We had big plans. We had huge plans. We had, um, I'm not going to call them out, but we'll just say uh, D. Tuke. Um, no, that's too obvious. Doug T, who uh, was supposed <laughs> to be on the show with us. That's bad. Calling out Doug, our friend, <laughs> our good friend, Doug. <laughs> good friend, Doug was supposed to be on the show. And we're like, how do you top Doug. So we reached out to a bunch of people who could top Doug, but you know, that was last minute. So we're like, let's just go live on, uh, on, on Facebook through the YM transfer page. Let's, uh, you know, do this here. And, um, this way we can try something new where we're, you know, asking questions to a live audience and the live audience can ask, ask us questions. Uh, so this is just something we're trying for episode 100. Uh, we're recording this, so if you are listening to the recording and you're like, what's going on? Uh, you can go to the YM Transfer uh, Facebook page, uh, Facebook group, um, and uh, watch the live recording. So you get to peek into my house and John's house. Uh, so this is pretty exciting, John. Uh, and uh, I think what's more exciting, though, is that we've been doing this for 100 episodes. I think that's incredible when you really think about it. I mean, that's basically two years. And... It's amazing. We've had new episodes every time. So we, you, you and I, Chris, we have talked about, do we kind of during the holidays when less people are listening, do we, do we repeat an old episode? And we're like, nope, we're just going to keep doing new content every time. So we have literally done 100 episodes, new content every time. And it has been so much fun to be able to do this. And, and, and it's really exciting to be. So I'm excited about these first 100 episodes that we've done. And I just feel like we're getting into the groove now. 100 episodes in, Chris, I just feel yeah. like we're figuring this out. We have a ton of topics still that we want to address that we haven't even got to yet. We have guests that we want to bring on board, talk about different topics. And so so I'm excited about these next 100 episodes that are coming up and over the course of this next two years. So this has been good ministry, Chris. I've enjoyed it. I've learned a lot. Hopefully that's been true for you, Chris, but hopefully it's been true for our listeners as well. Yeah, I don't know if I'm really signing on for a hundred more episodes, but I guess uh, you know, <laughs> oh, now man. that you've announced that, um, I can't hard. edit oh. that out. No, but uh, you know, it, it's kind of funny. I, I like Tony's uh, comment in the Facebook page. He wrote, uh, "How could I miss a hundred episodes?" And sometimes we feel like we're one of the um, I wouldn't say best kept secrets in uh, podcast uh, history, but we are a uh, sometimes not the best marketers. So if you haven't um, joined or listened to the church podcast before, all you need to do is go to the churchpodcast.org um, or go to uh, iTunes and you can subscribe there, but you have to search the church podcast with John Ronaldo for it to pop up. Um, you know, or otherwise you'll get every other podcast that's associated with ministry, church, Christianity uh, that would ever pop up. Uh, that was probably the reason why the church podcast as a podcast name was available 
uh, because everyone else was smart enough to realize that calling their podcast the church podcast wouldn't be a horrible marketing term. So <laughs> we're hoping to buck that trend, everybody. Um, That's but anyway, so, so you're telling them they have to put my name in, but not your name? Like, is that really true? Uh, well, you know, I, I'm a generous guy. I gave your <laughs> name front marquee. You know, like if they want to be like just true to the title and called the church podcast with John Ronaldo and Christopher Wesley, that's totally fine. It's not that it won't show up with Chris Wesley, but you know, I just, I'm sorry, John, for putting you first. No, I just wanted to make sure if that was actually the case. So anyway, it's too funny. So, well, that's good. Yeah. Subscribe, but also uh, share with your friends. We're having a good time with this particular episode. Uh, We got some reviews recently on, on iTunes about what we're doing that were really positive. So thank you all to who have reviewed and rated the podcast. We really appreciate that. Obviously, as you know, that increases our our visibility and gets the word out there. But again, best thing to do is send, send the link to a friend who's in ministry somewhere across the country, that's really the best way to go about uh, sharing this. And so if you've been enjoying these last 100 episodes, uh, again, please share with a friend as we kind of delve into these next 100 episodes and as we move towards 200. And and some of you might be wondering why we're sharing this on the YM Transfer uh, Facebook group and not Marathon Youth Ministry Facebook page or, you know, on one of our profiles. And really, uh, uh, the reason I suggested this to John was because the YM Transfer Facebook page or group, it's really about uh, talking about some of the things that we discuss here on the show, which is, uh, you know, church strategy, um, you know, uh, more, not, not so much curriculum and content or um, you know, things along those lines, but best practices as leaders, best practices, whether you're a DRE or a pastor, um, leadership tools, books that you're reading, things along those lines. And uh, those are the things that uh, we want to discuss, um, not just on the Facebook page, um, but also here on uh, the, uh, the church podcast, uh, um, the church podcast. Uh, so anyway, uh, John and I, you know, as we were putting this together, we we're like, all right, it's episode 100. What are the things that we want to talk about? And granted, episode 104 would mean we've been doing this for two years, but this is about two years that we've been doing this. And we decided that we wanted to talk about what are some of the things that have changed in, uh, in, in church ministry over the last two years? And then what are some of our hopes for church ministry in the next two years? Because if you look back at the last two years, right, John, a lot of big things have happened. Um, uh, some obvious things, and then I think some, some more subtle things and things that maybe didn't necessarily happen in the church, but I think have impacted the church as well. Yeah, I think so. And, and let's delve into that. I was, I was thinking on this and writing some notes down here. And, and, and one of the, the first and foremost things I think is important name, uh, and we've done a lot of episodes on this, is Pope Francis uh, doing a synod on young people. Uh, and, and, and then eventually writing Christ is Alive, which is post-synodal document. And so I think those two things uh, have been really uh, defining, I think, in these past two years. It's kind of creating a shift a little bit on how we look at how we look at and work with young people in the church. If you have not read his document, Christ is Alive, it's definitely worth the read. Chapter 7 in and of itself is worth the read, especially those of you who are involved in youth ministry, because he basically outlines, you know, some things that we should be doing in youth ministry. But I think that's a shift, right? Because what the, some of the language that came out of that particular synod, and that's not, this is not the only synod where this language came out of, but this is the bigger one that people were paying attention to, is the language of listening, 
right? We're mm-hmm. hearing that more of, of being sidonal, which is always a word I get it wrong, but this idea of being sidonal and what does that mean? The accompaniment aspect of things. Um, and I think that's a little bit of a shift. As I tell people when I talk about Christ is alive, is that this is the first major document that talks about youth ministry specifically since really 1997, you know, there have been some other ancillary types of things, but like a major focus on youth ministry. Since 1997, the bishops, the U.S. bishops wrote Renewing the Vision. That's oh, it's 22 years ago. And now Pope Francis writes a document specifically, not just on youth ministry, but a huge segment of it is on youth ministry. I think that's a shift. Uh, and, and for me, that's you're hearing the language more in ministry, this idea of moving from from teaching or me as the leader telling you all these things that you should be doing to listening. Where are young people? What are the questions that young people are asking and how do we address those questions? And we are starting to see the shift to the point, Chris, that I'm doing a session this, uh, this winter at the religious education Congress for youth day. We're going to do a session that's totally a Q and a session on Catholic theology, morality, justice, liturgy, spirituality, whatever it is. And this is a huge shift even for Youth Day. And they asked me to help lead this shift. Like, instead of let's be a talking head on stage, let's listen. So we, we and, and, and listen to the question. So we're seeing a shift even in how conferences are responding to it. So I think that's one big one that I think is obviously worth mentioning on the top of this show. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And um, what I would uh, what I, I would want to know too is uh, just kind of when you say it, it's shifting uh, some of the ways that we look at youth ministry um, and, and shifting the way that we're approaching it. What are what are some of the big things that you've seen emerge since the documents come out? Which was, I guess, what last when did it come out last March? March. Came out in March. Yeah, yeah, yeah. March. Uh, yeah, I, you know, more. It's been talk more than it's been actual doing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, people are still trying to figure out what this is and what this means for us. So the talk is good, but I think that points us to the next next two years, our next 100 episodes. I think we're going to begin to see some potential implementation of what this looks like in the future. So I don't think we've seen a lot of implementation yet, to be quite honest with you, um, because it's just still so new and we're still trying to grapple with the language and that type of thinking. It's, it's a culture shift. That's part of what Pope Francis has done is shifting the culture of how we look at ministry with young people. And you've got to embrace the culture shift first, meaning change in the way we think before it changes our behavior. Uh, and so that's, that's what I'm seeing right now. I think the implementation of it is going to take place moving forward. Not, it has not happened yet, quite honestly. Yeah. That's what I think. Yeah, yeah. You know, and that's good to hear because I don't know about you, but um, as a youth minister, um, it's like it comes out and, and there's like part of me that's like, yes, it's, this document's out there. This is awesome for the church. And then all of a sudden there's like this panic because – you don't see the fruits of it like right away. Right. You don't, you don't see things being implemented. And, and I know uh, a couple of episodes ago, we talked about the voice and vision conference and, you know, I was a little critical uh, of some of the things that, that uh, happened or did not happen in that event. And, and um, I know, I, again, just like talking to some people who were part of it, it there's, there's more that, you know, uh, there's more to come. This is just the beginning. Um, so yeah, uh, Christus Viva, the Synod, I think those are all something uh, significant that happened in the last few years. Um, for me, 
something, and this is more on maybe a negative side uh, than a positive side. Well, it's definitely more on the negative side side is uh, the uh, Pennsylvania document uh, that came out last year, about a year ago, um, you know, with just all the scandal that was happening uh, in the church. And, and I know you and I talked a little bit about that um, about a year ago on the podcast, but uh, that's definitely something that's shaped the way that we've done, not just ministry to young people, but just church ministry. I know it's affected a lot of dioceses and their budgets um, and uh, just the way that we approach child protection and everything. Um, so you don't want something like that to happen. I mean, you never want something like that to happen, but it does again, create sort of, uh, a conversation that I think has needed to, to be had. And, and I know for us, you know, in our diocese, in our local church, it created some incredible opportunities where we had listening sessions and not just that situation popped up, but other situations and where church has hurt people. Um, but also where churches healed people um, has emerged from that as well. And the thing that I take away from that um, from the last few years is how we have to be better listeners, how we have to, um, it's not uh, serving your, your congregation or your parish is not about doing like these events and things you want them to do, but sometimes it's just being present. And um, it's kind of funny, uh, people who know me know I'm a huge Dr. Brene Brown fan. And I think uh, some of the uh, stuff that happened uh, with the Pennsylvania court cases and, and pushing this listening thing, I, I started to get into her work and, and just learning more about empathetic listening. And uh, that's a huge tool that I would encourage people to check out is uh, Dr. Brene Brown. She's got a little YouTube video on listening, uh, her Netflix uh, special. I know I've like preached enough about her to you, John, but uh, yeah, just emerging from that, um, you know, from, from the Pennsylvania um, uh court cases and everything, I think, uh, or grand jury, um, I, I think there's a lot that we've learned about listening and how we interact with one another. Yeah. And we didn't see it coming, right? I mean, maybe we should have, you know, but, you know, we weren't connected and, it's, and then it, it just came, right? And, and so um, it is, it's been a huge shift for us as a church in terms of, uh, in terms of how we react to that. So we're seeing some things reminiscent of the early 2000s, right? When we, when we initially went through this. I think the big difference now is, though, is it's not just about priest accountability, that now the conversation is leadership accountability, right? And mm -hmm. bishop accountability. And, 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 and this changes the conversation for us because this is not just a bishop issue or a priest issue. This is all of us in ministry. And so we need to make sure as leaders in the church, whether we're lay or ordained, that we have accountability structures in place. And so I think what we're going to see moving forward because of, again, the, the reemergence of the sexual abuse scandal is uh, a greater emphasis on accountability, especially with our bishops. But we're, each of us as leaders need to reflect on that. I think the other test that's going to be interesting to see is that uh, we just put in, we as in the church, the Vatican, just put in new policies in place just recently in terms of how we investigate bishops of dioceses who may have botched whatever's going on. And so there's a, a diocese right now in the United States that's officially under this process already in place. Uh, it's in, uh, I forget which diocese, but it's in, in, in Minnesota. Uh, and of course, people have been paying attention to the Diocese of Buffalo, New York, you know, that's not officially under the new Vatican uh, events investigation yet. We'll see if that happens or not, um, you know, but, but that's a test. That's a test for the church, not just the United States, but worldwide in terms of, okay, 
we've named this as an issue. How is the church going to respond to it, both locally uh, and then, of course, worldwide as well? So we're starting to see, what I've seen anyways, is the Vatican is starting to respond quite quickly on some of these things within 30 days uh, and create an investigation. And, and I'm not an expert on any of that. But again, it's about that accountability. I think the other effect of that, Chris, is absolutely dried up money. You see, you already mentioned that, right? right. But we, I have heard, just anecdotally, I don't have the research to, to prove this, but anecdotally, I've seen people saying, giving is drying up. And more so at the diocesan level than at the parish level, in the right. sense that people are less likely to give to their annual diocesan campaign because of it. And so, again, there's going to be a shift. If, if dioceses are going to be bringing in less money because of this, well, then we're, we may potentially start to see services in diocese dwindle even more, which I think personally would be problematic having worked for a, a few dioceses in the past. Some of, the, some of the ministry that dioceses do is absolutely incredible, both the pastoral ministry side of things and the administrative side of things. I think that would be a detriment. But, but what this can do, though, is for outside organizations who provide some of these services, there's an opportunity for them to come in and fill the gap of where dioceses are, are unable or unwilling to provide services for parishes. And I think we're starting to see that. I'm seeing more organization. I mean, Paris Success Group is one of those, quite mm, honestly. It's yeah. like, that's what we do. We're, we're not filling the gap per se, but we're filling a need that's there that we know that in many parts of the country, the diocese just can't fulfill. And so our job is to come and walk alongside the diocese in that, uh, in that relationship. But my point is, if we're going to see more declining of services from diocese, I wouldn't be surprised in light of in light of the, the accountability issues that we have in the church. Again, I don't mean to be negative and say all the world's ending type of thing, but I think we need to be realistic in this situation. And I don't think it's something that's going to change right away. Yeah, no, John, you're right. And it, it really is. Uh, it, it's one of those things where we really do have to reshift our focus. And, and, and I would encourage anyone who's feeling like worried about, you know, financial um, limitations or budget cuts or things like that, to say before you say, all right, it's over, we can't do it, church is failing or whatnot, is to look at it and say, okay, here are the new rules, here are new guidelines, let's figure out how we can play within these new rules, these new guidelines. If I don't have the budget to do X, Y, or Z, you know, what are the things that I can do with the budget? Um, you know, and that's a trust in God. Um, all right, I've got a third thing that I would add that's significant that's happened in the last two years, even though it's 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 probably been going on longer, is uh, Encuentro, you know, being Encuentro, uh, you know, that's been huge, um, you know, in regards to, and, and I, I've been experiencing this at the local level, in regards to the conversation around um, multilingual, um, bi, you know, uh, intercultural, multi, multicultural parishes, and, you know, with the increase of um, just immigration and diversity that's happening in this country, especially with the Hispanic communities uh, um, and Latino communities, uh, it's really, um, you know, uh, really, I'm trying to think of the right word. I don't want to say challenge or force because th that's more negative, but it's, it's really kind of awakened us to look at um, how, you know, our church is universal and how a universal church can be a blessing on a local level. Um, and, and so, yeah, I mean, I, I know that's just been something that's huge and impacted me on, on, on kind of a local level. 
I don't know what your thoughts are on, on that, John. Yeah, I feel like, so I feel like the Encuentro process has been great. It's been going on for, for many years, right? We, do, we just did the Quinto Encuentro at the end of 2000 or September 2018, uh, mm. you know, but I still feel like it hasn't gained traction. Not the Encuentro process itself, but this understanding of multicultural church. I mean, I think in some places in the country, you get it, right? Uh, because it's more of the reality. In other places, I still feel like it's, it's a forced conversation. And so I think the Encuentro process continues to play an important role in bringing awareness and advocacy around these particular issues. But it's so interesting to me that I just, I don't feel like it's taken root. But I think we're going to see that again now pointing to the next two years. Again, this is going to continue to be a reality for folks. California, for instance, is already over 50 percent of the state population is Latino of some sort of Latino Hispanic descent. Uh, that's mm -hmm. significant. Right. And, and that significantly changes the makeup of the church as well. Right. But now wh what's that going to look like in other places, say, in the southwest or the east coast? Right. Um, you know, we're starting to see more and more of that influx. Uh, of, of, and it's not just Latino population, but we're seeing increases continue in the Pacific Islanders, uh, Asian uh, Pacific Islanders in, in Asia, Southeast Asia in particularly, you know, that's changing the face of this. And so we're starting to see that reality come more and more and more to fruition. I think it's interesting to me that we're still seem like this is one guy's opinion. It just seems like we haven't, we're still not talking about it enough and it, it hasn't hit uh, a common, uh, a common thread in a lot of people's language in the church. And so I think we've got some continued work to do, but that's certainly my take on this. And I think the cultural process will continue to play an important role. I, I would push back a little bit on that. Um, I mean, yeah, it's probably not the traction where, you know, it needs to be. But I think with political things going on with immigration in this country and, you know, just the tense climate around that, um, you know, and I, I was also thinking, you know, even though, like, I, I don't think it's been widely or not talked about in, in the church, but the women's role, um, you know, uh, professional role in the church and everything like that, especially with things like, you know, you know, uh, the Me Too movement and, and, and the things coming up, there are definitely significant things that have happened in our society that I think um, are impacting some of the conversations that need to have. I, I don't think, yeah, I would agree with you. It's not where it needs to be. But I'll tell you the truth. Yeah, I didn't know Enquentro was going on for as long as it, it did until a couple of years ago. And, you know, I'm, you know, I, I, I'm your stereotypical white, white man, you know, straight man and everything like that. So it's grabbing my attention. Um, and I know I don't represent all white men, you know, there, but like, it, it really, I think, um, for me, this is because of the political climate, because of things going on. Um, it's just, uh, it's it, like, I, I think it's, it, it is starting to move um, and pick up a little bit of steam. But no, I can, I can appreciate your thoughts on yeah. that as well. And speaking of the political climate, one of the things I wrote down in my notes is, is I think the, 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 the degradation would be the word I would use of the national mm. discourse of national dialogue uh, that we're having in light of 2016 and, and just kind of how the conversation has gone downhill. Uh, I, I think that's rolled over into church. That's one of the things mm. I, I have seen in the past few years is, is what we're seeing in the political world, uh, you know, is being transferred into the church world. What do I mean by that is I, I feel like I am hearing and seeing 
more disunity and tension within the Catholic Church. Uh, again, you know, this is a little bit more negative trend that I've seen, uh, but I think it's going to continue into the future. I don't think it's going to go away anytime soon. I think some of it's been healthy because I think we're, we're hearing perspectives sometimes that we haven't heard in a long time, and so we need to raise up those voices. But I think a lot of it has been unconstructive, or I would say deconstructive, you know, in terms of the attacking that's happened. And it often comes from a moral point of view or an ideological point of view or a theological point of view, where what I'm seeing more is this division. I don't want to use the terms left and right, but that's the common term that we often use is, is we're seeing that this division of the vocal people are, 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 are more and more vocal than they've ever been. Uh, and so you're seeing attacks to each other, like the church is attacking itself. And maybe I'm being a little melodramatic around this, you know, um, I would say that the majority of Catholics seem to be still somewhere in the middle, you know, but the most vocal groups of people tend to be on the ends, it seems like. Um, and I think it's created some disharmony in the church um, that I think we need to address and look at in the future. Um, and, and that's what I mean by I think the political conversation has spilled over, that discourse has spilled over into the church. Uh, um, and, and I don't think it's fruitful all the time. I think there's been some fruitful pieces of it, but I don't know. I, I don't know what to think of it, you know, but I, I know it's been disturbing for me to the point that there, I used to follow different people on social media and hear conversations and, and, and I've, I've learned to, you know, unfollow people quite honestly, because I just, I don't, I haven't liked the, the language. I haven't liked the attitude. I haven't liked the, the negative discourse. And so that's something I'm struggling with. I'm just curious if you, Chris, or other people have struggled with that same thing as well, but I just feel it's more pronounced now. Yeah, you know, um, I, I, I'm I'm smiling and, and laughing uh, a little bit because uh, I, John, for those of you who don't follow the show, John has a love hate relationship with social media. Yes, um, I he's do. sworn <laughs> off of it. He's come back on. You know, he tells them that he's never going to love them again, and then he he's back. And um, you're you're definitely a little bit more political um, in, in social media than I am. I, I would consider myself a very political person. I just choose not to sh share that on social media because. I, I just, I'm afraid I'm going to say or, or, or type something stupid, but um, yeah, no, it, it's, it's made it, I've unfollowed people. I've unfollowed family members um, on social media because of just the way that they use it um, to promote uh, political agendas. And it's not because they're promoting political agendas, but it's how they talk about it. I've gotten tired of listening to certain people on social media um, just rant and, and not that they're, uh, and it's hard because, like, I believe that some of them are doing something about it, you know, in their real lives in their everyday lives, but it's just kind of like, um, you know, I see social media as a way of connecting us and not dividing us. Um, and, uh, that's, yeah, that's my take on that. Um, so I know we could spend more time talking about stuff that's happened in the last two years, but I want to definitely uh, turn this to looking at what are things that we can do in the church or what are things that you're hoping for John in the next two years? that we can do in the church to increase things and, uh, and make things better. And, and for those of you who are watching live in the comments, I would love for you guys to share what you think in the next two years is going to happen in the church that um, is going to be good or, or, or bad things that we have to prepare for or things that um, we should get excited about, um, you know, and uh, you know, it could be something like my beard gets longer in the next two years. It could be something as simple <laughs> as that too. Um, 
to, I, I don't know, um, more yeah. an increase in, in, in lay ecclesial uh, staff. Uh, so, John, when you look ahead for the next two years, and you've talked a little bit about this, what are some of the trends you think you're going to see or things that you hope to see? Yeah, well, here, here, part of it is uh, we're, we're pushing this as, as a ministry, but I, I'm seeing more language around this, is the shift from education to mm-hmm. faith formation. I feel like uh, very much like uh, like uh, the synod on young people or whatnot is is we've got to change our thinking around that first before we uh, before we actually start to implement type of things. And I'm starting to see more and more of that language. Right, you're starting to see a shift in titles instead of a director of religious education. You're starting to see title of director of faith formation, which is quite honestly a much more encompassing title. Um, and so I think we're seeing this shift to faith formation and all aspects of faith formation, not just the head knowledge. Uh, and so that's something that's been really positive that I really like. And I think we're going to see more and more of that as we move forward. And I think it's interconnected with discipleship making, right? That we're, we're not no longer about forming people who know about the church, but who are becoming the church. Right. Mm, and I think yeah. that's a huge language shift for us. And I think we're starting to see ministry implementation of that, you know, and, and people being much more intentional about. It. So I'm seeing that shift. And I think that shift is only going to grow more and more over the course of the next two years. And I think that's really positive. Right. Uh, and I think that's huge for us. And I, I'm embracing it and I'm encouraging it as much as I can. So how do we make sure that it just doesn't become another buzzword? Like, you know, accompaniment uh, kind of falls into that. Like, how do we make sure that this is like, not just the new evangelization or uh, forming intentional disciples or uh, uh, other buzzwords like we talked about uh, a few episodes ago. Um, how do we make sure that, you know, catechesis or uh, catechism uh, or education goes into formation, like you said? Yeah, well, I think part of it is because we're starting to see more of our church leaders use that language. And when it gets to that point, you know, it, you know, where the Vatican or the USCCB or others start to use that language, then, you know, it's starting to stick a little bit more. And so, again, I think we're still a long ways off. I think we still have a lot of, of movement in that direction. Um, but the reason I think it's not a fad, Chris, is because I think it's been backed up by significant research now. Right. We, yeah. we, we over the past more than two years, but uh, certainly, you know, the release of going, going gone is, is a, is a watershed moment in the church in terms of having data to understand why people are disaffiliating from the church uh, and, and read the book. If you haven't read going, going gone, it's well worth the purchase. Go to St. Mary's press SMP.org and buy it. If you're in church ministry, you have to read it. Um, but uh, because it's backed in research, I think we're starting to see that shift. Now, not only do people think it's happening in their own church, but now we have data nationally to show, yes, it's happening. And here are some of the reasons why. And so I think this, this is going to stick. I don't think it's a fad and because leaders are talking about it in the church and because we have research to back it. And that leads me to kind of another piece that's really connected with this is I, I think now what we're going to see over the course of the next two years and beyond is is research backing practices. What do I mean by that? What I mean is that I think we're going to, we have all these good ideas and we throw out a lot of good ideas on this podcast, Chris, but it's not tested yet in the sense that we have data to prove that these good ideas work. 
what I'm seeing a shift in the church nationally is organizations wanting to try these new models with a scientific method in mind to test longitudinally, right, mm -hmm. long term, that these shifts that we're seeing actually work and work better. And so I think what we're going to see is the testing of these hypotheses with uh, using scientific research, basically the scientific method to kind of show that these methodologies these practices are working i think we're going to see more and more of that moving in the next two years and beyond interesting no that's good that's good i'm glad you said that because yeah one of my fears would be that we we don't have the strategies out there i mean i i believe the strategies are out there but like you said we don't have the data to back that up and i think that's an important distinction that's an important thing to have is uh you know it's not just to have the research and say this is what's happening but that here are paths forward and, and this is what we have to measure and this is what we have to do. And um, it'll be interesting to see like um, how many churches and dioceses embrace that and how many uh, just continue to, you know, say, well, you know what, they'll just come back naturally. You know, there's nothing that we need to do. The, the church has been around for over 2000 years. It's, it's not going to, it's not going anywhere. And while there's truth to that, like there needs to be intentionality at the same time. So that's good. That's good. Yeah, you know, for me in the next two years, um, uh, you know, it, it, I, I see as um, more and more churches close or face financial struggles, going back to what you were saying is um, outsourcing um, some organizations to, to help, um, you know, manage a new strategy and everything like that. But I'm seeing um, more of the role of lay ecclesial staff go from you know, like just to use a youth minister uh, as an example, as someone who's hanging out with the teens to directing um, volunteer op opportunities. So, you know, a youth minister, even a DRE, um, uh, you know, director of liturgy, um, any of those different types of roles that you might have in a parish setting are becoming more like project managers or volunteer coordinators than they are um, being these pastoral uh, staff uh, ministers uh, where they're interacting with the people. It doesn't mean that there won't be any interaction, but if you're doing a, a pastorate or a multi-site, you know, campus and everything like that, um, if you're overseeing two churches or a, a cluster of a couple, um, the skill set for lay ecclesial staff and even pastors, even clergy, is going to have to change to be more um, to be more, uh, uh, you know, remote and, uh, and and flexible and adaptable in in that way. Yeah, I mean, and part of that is related to the decline in priests. I don't see that trend changing. I have no data to suggest it is changing. And so um, a lot of the conversations I have with dioceses is how do we empower lay people to take on really what is part of the vision of the Vatican II, which is the, this, the lay apostolate, right? And how do we really embrace that? I mean, we talked about that in the 60s of the Vatican II, and here we are still trying to figure that out. We're still a very clergy-centric uh, organization, and, and, and clergy will always play an important role, obviously, especially the sacramental life of the church, but embracing the gifts of lay people when it comes to administration, when it comes to directing organizations, right? I think we need to see more and more of that, and I think that's going to be only more of a reality unless we see a, a shift in the number of, of seminarians, you know, who are studying and want to become a priest, which, again, the numbers aren't bearing that out right now. Remember, it takes, you know, five plus years to, to be trained as a priest. Uh, and we just don't have the numbers, you know, coming up to, to suggest that. So I agree. I think we're going to see that. And some of that is a result, a continued result of just the, the lack of priests coming through formation.
Well, you know, it's interesting you say that because I've, I've, I mean, I know in our diocese, actually, we have more seminarians than we have had in 30 years. Wow, that's great. Right now. And so there's an increase there. And, and recently read an article um, in the Huffington Post, uh, believe it or not, that was talking about the increase in uh, women going into religious life um, and discernment there. Because um, like one of the things that, and this is including what I feel like I'm going to see or what we'll see in the next few years, is a, a, a deeper devotion from, even though our numbers of Catholics is dwindling. The um, people who are um, remaining, their um, willingness to try a, a different lifestyle, like the priesthood or the religious life, um, seeing that a little bit of an increase because, you know, working at a church like Nativity where there's a lot of contemporary and, and um, it's very contemporary and very modern and, and you know, outside the box thinking, um, I, working at a more traditional church, I, I've, I've met more and more young people who are craving not just the smells and bells, but even that kind of like radical living that comes with being, uh, you know, a follower of Christ, uh, you know, choosing to be chaste, uh, choosing to, you know, uh, to, to, to go beyond their comfort zone to serve others and to love others and everything like that. So um, it's going to be interesting to see how that shape shapes out. And I, I realize like what I described happening here in the Archdiocese of Baltimore is unique um, to other dioceses, but um yeah, there, it, it'll be interesting to see how that, how that change, how that trend changes over the next couple of years. Cool. Yeah. All right. Good. This well, has been a good conversation, Chris. I mean, there's, yeah. I, I, I just, I'm, I'm eager to watch what happens over the course of the next two years. Well, not watch, I'm going to participate in it, but I just think <laughs> uh, I'm excited. Like, yeah, are there some real challenges ahead for sure? But I, I, I continue to remain super optimistic because of some of the things we mentioned here towards the end of the podcast, where I have seen positive growth and positive change in the church. And I think these next two years uh, are going to be exciting for the church, not just the United States, but beyond. And so excited to play a role in that. One last prediction I have for the course of the next two years is uh, we will hit episode 200. That's a solid prediction, Chris. All right. All right. Um, <laughs> I, I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to it. And that's a, that's a good place to, to wrap up. But now this has been a pleasure. And, and if you've enjoyed the church podcast, actually, this is kind of a funny episode because we haven't really spent a lot of time talking about practical ministry like we do in most of our episodes. So um, we, we did mention a couple of the topics we have talked about, and you can always find them at the church podcast.org. Uh, you can shoot us an email uh, either here on the Facebook page, uh, Facebook group or at questions at the churchpodcast.org. John, where can people find you outside of uh, the church podcast? Yeah, absolutely. You can find everything we do at the parish success group.com. And of course, you can find me, especially on Twitter at John Ronaldo. So I'd love to connect with you there. And you can always find me on social media under Marathon Youth Ministry or Chris R. Wesley. Uh, you can go to MarathonYouthMinistry.com as well. But we would love for you guys to check out the churchpodcast.org um, or go to iTunes, leave a review, let us know how we're doing, share the love or, you know, critique us. Uh, we can handle it. At least uh, John can handle it. And, uh, you know, uh, we would love your thoughts and uh, any topics or things that you want to talk about in the future. And, and Tony, who mentioned in the comments, Beards, Beats, and Battlestar Galactica, we'll take that into consideration. But anyway, yes, we will. <laughs> strong consideration. But anyway, uh, John, always a pleasure uh, chatting with you. Uh, this is episode 100. We, were, we shared it live on our, the YM Transfer Facebook group. 
Um, but for all of our listeners, thank you for what you do. We're always with you. And John, will you close this in prayer? Absolutely. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Dear God, thank you for this gift of a of hundred episodes of, of ministry, of, of reaching an audience that maybe Chris and I would never be able to see face-to-face or connect with. And so, Lord, thank you just for this incredible gift, the incredible technology that you've given us to allow us to reach a wider audience, uh, all for your service, Lord, all for your kingdom, Lord. So we continue to lift up the church podcast to you. Uh, so they continue to be a light in your church and a tool that ministers can use to bring people closer to you, Lord. Continue to bless Chris and I in this ministry, but most especially all those that are watching today from Facebook Live and, and all those who are listening in our podcast stream, Lord, continue to watch over them, bless them in their ministry, help them to continue to grow and strive in their ministry so that more and more and more and more people can come to know you through the incredible community of the Catholic Church. So continue to be with us as we continue to strive for another 100 episodes and more on the Church Podcast. In your name we pray. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.